Welcome to another episode of Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, and today we're going to be going into the evidence-based approach to movement and rehab. Today we have Chris, Guy, and Madison Frannick. Uh, basically, Chris and Madison are the founders of Evidence-Based Movement, a social media page devoted to helping movement professionals and students better understand and apply the most updated or up-to-date research. Chris was a research and assistant uh, at the Performance and Physique Enhancement Laboratory at USF during his undergrad and graduate education as well as the current head coach of USF's powerlifting team. Madison's, or Madison graduated from Duke with his DPT and is currently involved in an orthopedic residency. Chris and Madison, welcome to the show, buds. Hey, man. Appreciate well, it. Yeah, good to be here. No problem. No problem. Now, let's, I mean, for the listeners and for my sake, too, I mean, how did evidence-based movement get started? How did you guys meet? Um, I'm only assuming it was from, uh, yeah, you guys mentioned undergrad. Um, yeah, how did that kind of brainstorm into what is evolved now sure uh chris you want to start or you want me to go yeah you can go for it all right so uh yeah so um i did my uh did my undergrad at university of south florida in exercise science uh, graduated in in 2015 and then went on to to do my doctorate of physical therapy up at up at duke university um and so chris was the the year behind me um at usf um so Chris was at 2016, he graduated then. Yeah. Um, and so I, I had known Chris and, you know, um, the last, the last year that, um, I was at USF, I was fortunate enough to be able to actually serve as a, um, as a TA in one of, one of the undergrad exercise prescription courses that we had taken. Um, and so through that, I got to know Chris a little bit, um, and just kind of, you know, saw that he, he was able to kind of see things differently than, than some of the other classmates. Um, and so when, when this whole project started kind of coming together, um, my kind of the, the beginning of my second year at Duke, um, I'd known, again, the relationship that I had with Chris and kind of the vision that I had, you know, for the, uh, for, for the page. And so, you know, it was kind of a no brainer when, when kind of reaching out, um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we, we got, got going from a, from a relationship standpoint. Um, you know, when it, when it came to the whole kind of evidence-based movement, you know, what, I guess what kind of had, you know, started everything was that, you know, we had been, you know, I'd been going through, you know, like I said, two years deep in the, uh, in the DPT program. And we were you know, constantly getting harped on with evidence-based practice and, you know, research study after research study. And, you know, it was something that I was always kind of interested in, but, you know, it was, it, it's kind of hard to read from, from time to time, you know, it, it can get a little tedious and it can get a little boring. And, you know, the way that, you know, people are nowadays, we kind of like information kind of short and sweet. And so, you know, we really wanted to kind of change the, the stigma that you know, we, we feel oftentimes is associated with research and, and that it's, again, it's boring or it's, you know, it's, it's not important. Um, and really, we really wanted to, again, kind of, kind of flip the switch and it's, it's crazy kind of, you know, kind of having this podcast right now, just literally thinking about this. So when we were, we were first, um, getting, getting this page started, I'm going to actually throw a, uh, throw a shout out to the, uh, to the prehab guys. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, was having a conversation with Craig, um, from the prehab guys and, you know, I'm super, super thankful for that conversation that we had initially in terms of, um, you know, him kind of, I guess, really challenging, um, you know, me to, to really push this page forward with, again, changing, changing the, the persona that's associated with research. And so, um, 
you know, it, it's just been it's it's been a good run so far. I think we've had you know good feedback. I think people have really enjoyed um, you know the content that that we're putting out. Um, and I think what's what's most important for us is that people are um, actually being able to uh, apply it within their within their everyday lives. And it's not just you know like concepts or theories that people are grasping, but it's actually like tangible tangible information that people can kind of take with them. I mean, I, 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 like I said in the beginning of the podcast, you guys are doing a huge favor for not only myself, but other practitioners that don't really, I mean, don't really enjoy the research side of things. And again, you do have, there is a, a big um, scope when it comes to evidence-based practice, right? There is the research, there is the, like, the day-to-day stuff. Uh, there's stuff that has worked, right, in that traditional side to things. Uh, but man, like you said, research can get so boring and monotonous. But, um, you know, what I love about you guys is, yeah, you guys make it so practical. And just, again, you take what's useful from the research, you put it out into uh, infographics or movement stuff. Um, and again, to the reader or to the to the audience, whether it's a practitioner or just like, uh, again, maybe a consumer for or the, a patient, um, they're able to now take that research and actually apply it. It doesn't just, it doesn't get lost in this uh, world of research papers, right? This this uh, space where a lot of times uh, research, even the good ones, right, tend to kind of lose their their value because people aren't reading or people aren't using it but now especially the social media influence right you've taken the social media influence you've taken the influence of research and you're taking the influence of movement and basically have mixed uh have mixed them to be able to now provide this uh almost this bridge between um practical right and the science into into one so that's pretty awesome so you guys met in uh undergrad and then you guys kind of fell each other out and you're like okay we can probably do this thing. And yeah. then uh, who started the page? Like who actually started posting and who started like creating the content? Yeah. So um, th- things have, things have dra- changed drastically um, from, from where they were at the beginning. Um, you know, people will always ask us constantly like, Hey, like, you know, when we were initially getting started, like how are you creating these things or what were you doing? And we were literally just using like a word document. Like it wasn't anything, it wasn't anything crazy. Um, but you know, I'm trying to think what I think. I think we still have, and Chris, mistake me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure we still have as as like a a thing to kind of reflect back on and kind of look at the actual first week of of content that we had, right? Yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking about today because we we have like the picture of the kind of quote unquote original EBM team, and and we had like some of the very first weeks of what it looked like, and even what our old infographs used to look like. Just so we can kind of compare what it what it is now, and uh-huh. it's uh, it's definitely been a a big change. But I mean, most of it's just been kind of taking in the feedback of others, and you know, looking at what what do we like that we do and what we don't do, and, and kind of tweaking it from there. But um, it's it's definitely been a you know a just very slow and consistent change over time. Uh-huh. Sure. How long ago? Did, how long ago did you guys start the the page? Oh, uh, what? So I think it's going on three years in the end of October. Yeah, yeah, it was October twenty sixteen. Okay. Um, and and a lot of it was just kind of early on planning. You know, what do we want to do? What what do we see? Where our where our places? And I remember Maddie had called me up and pretty much said, you know, hey, I know you're really big into to all the research stuff since that was a big part of my undergrad. Um, education was I had the opportunity to get you know really well involved in research and everything mm-hmm. um, so I could see its value even before I started PT school luckily and, uh, and I remember just kind of 
a lot of phone calls with Maddie talking about, hey, this is what we want to do. This is what we want, what we want to represent. Um, and from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, Maddie, but I think a lot of it was just setting this, this thing up for one of your classes, right? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much just, you know, to have, to have a, a page accessible to, to classmates. And, you know, when, it's funny, when we sat down, um, I, don't, I don't know if it was before we launched it or if it was before, after we launched it, but we sat down and, you know, we said, all right, ultimately, like, what, what did we want to create from it? And obviously, the, the first thing that everyone kind of goes to from a social media perspective is, like, numbers. Like, hey, numbers-wise, mm-hmm. like, you know, what, what do we want to get to? And, you know, we sat down and we said, you know, hey, if, if we had – if we had gotten to like 10,000 followers, we were like, that was, that was the goal. Um, that, mm-hmm. that was all we wanted to shoot for. Um, and then by that, was it by that March or April, we already kind of hit that, that, that cap. And we were like, Oh crap. Like, I guess we have to continue to, to go through with this. Cause, uh, we didn't, we didn't expect that that to kind of happen. Um, but yeah, no, it's been it's been a crazy journey, um, and we're we're just super super humbled for you know not only the, the people that consistently stay engaged with the content, and the people that are always kind of adding on to the community, but um, just the variety of people that we've been able to come in contact with. Because you know, I think I, I think there's this, there's this huge disconnect between kind of academia and kind of social media, and I think it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like uh, you know people kind of think it's like two ends of the spectrum. Um, there's like, you know, all the, all the really, really smart people are in ac- academia and the rest of us are just like, you know, on social media kind of doing our own little thing. Um, but there, there are a lot, a lot of smart people from, from a social media standpoint that I think could easily, easily be in academia. So it's been really cool to, to be able to interact with those people, to, to take, you know, you know, look at, you know, different, you know, exercise prescription and different concepts and, um, you know, be able to apply it even within, within practice that I do on a day-to-day basis. Um, so social media is a huge, a huge resource, you know, and anytime a student comes in and says, Hey, like, you know, do you have any like, you know, pro tips or whatever? It's like, listen, if, if you don't have a social media, get on one, start following all these different people. Cause it's a, it's an amazing resource. That's absolutely free at no cost, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's come a long way, huh? Something that you guys didn't really expect. It went from a, a a class project to now. I mean, it's it's basically part of your profession, part of your your job description now, which is pretty cool. I mean, before you couldn't do that. I mean, even what we're doing right now, you have to have a whole radio station to be able to have the type of uh, content that we're trying to create. Now, to be able to produce content, right? To produce uh, valuable stuff that people can digest. Mm-hmm. I mean, at a simple click, click on your on your on your phone, and obviously, as you start to go deeper into your your content, the way you distribute it uh, becomes a little bit more elaborate. But in reality, the 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 tools we have now are crazy and like you mentioned now putting in the academia side and putting in like practical stuff that people can use and even like share between practitioners is uh super valuable so right it's yeah it's crazy where things are going right i I would say you know and chris sorry i didn't mean to cut you off um just real quick um you know when we were sitting down kind of putting the page together we had you know I, i would i would look at kind of two two main pages as the the big influencers in terms of you know, what kind of created or what had, I guess, sparked EBM. Um, obviously, I'd mentioned earlier the prehab guys. And, you know, I mean, at the time, they were a year ahead of us. And, and we had seen, you know, the influence that they were having from a social media standpoint. Um, but there's also a, a, a guy by the name of Chris Beardsley. Um, and Chris was like one of the, 
first, if, if not the first person to start doing kind of the whole infograph deal. And so we, we kind of liked the idea of what they were both were doing. And we always thought of it of trying to kind of blend it together. So, you know, you could be able to look at the research, but then the question was, okay, based upon the research, how can I actually put this in real practice? And so that's where we tried to kind of bridge the gap um, and take the research and put it more within a practical con uh, context. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, social media now is, is very powerful and, and the way you guys are handling and the way you guys are, are producing, I'm sure it'll evolve in itself too. But um, yeah, you guys have a, a great mix of, again, having that research and then immediately having that instant practical uh, approach, which is awesome. And both of you, I mean, I know Madison's a physical therapist, but Chris, what are, are you, is, do you practice? Are you just more of the research side? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be graduating in, uh, in about eight days. Oh, congrats. Yeah, no, it's that and that's awesome. let the loan start. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely looking looking forward to all that. But you know, it's it's been cool being able to do this even throughout school and like to me I, I value it that much more, you know, especially mm -hmm. when I was in school because I'd I'd have people in my class who were like, Well, how do we even find a research article? And it's like uh -huh. and the, the things that you know, school does a great job of teaching us, but just how much further you can take it now on social media. Uh -huh. And uh, the other thing I was going to say earlier was, you know, it's it's also just a great excuse to get people to look at pictures of my dog. So I, <laughs> I, can, definitely, I can definitely appreciate it. Uh, what was the, the recent one you did? The, the sleeping one <laughs> where he's on his back? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, God. I'm, I'm sure he loves the attention too. He's like, come here, I got to work. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, they, she gets plenty of treats. She she knows she's working, but you know you gotta you gotta make him do some work too. But uh, no, it, it's just it's just good to be able to see like all right, this is something you can have fun with. It's something that you can still educate people, um, and you know that's that's why for us it's really just always been fun. You know, it's never really been a job. It's never been like oh man, what am I gonna do this time? Um, mm -hmm. It's been really kind of easy. Uh, going forward so that's to me like as long as it's fun and it's still it's still going well you know i value the crap out of it even the things that i learned just from being a part of the page uh -huh. so what's the plan with ebm do you guys have other than just like the social media presence and uh, obviously again it's not just but um all the content you guys are producing on on social media is there like uh, an end goal or is it more just kind of producing content you guys doing your own thing uh practicing and whatnot or do you guys have a bigger plan with EBM? Yeah, so no, no spoiler here, but um, <laughs> in uh, in twenty so twenty twenty, yeah, wow, twenty nineteen, uh, twenty twenty, um, we're gonna kind of leave it leave it right here, but we are gonna be introducing a um, hopefully a continuing education course um, that we're gonna be we're gonna be launching. So um, just kind of stay stay on the on the deeds for that. We'll, we'll kind of be releasing some stuff up here soon. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So when it comes to movement and rehab, um, let's talk about what the research says, I guess, now, and then we'll go into uh, a little bit more deeper of that. But what's what is what does it say now? What are you what are, your, are you guys finding or what are some of the researchers uh, or some of the stuff that you guys are using practically um, that you guys are seeing a big difference with? Uh, I'd say it's that we don't know crap. Um, good idea <laughs> no it's 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 pretty you know amazing you you go into school and you have these expectations of you know these are the things i'm going to learn this is this is what physical therapy is like and then the deeper you dig into it the more you're just like wow you know we we really don't know a lot um and 
while at first that might kind of shy you away and, and kind of be a little scary, at the same time, it's like, you know, we have uh, somewhere. Yeah, that's, that's me. Sorry about that. There's a guy coming <laughs> at 5 o'clock every day. Solid. No, but <laughs> that guy's got a nice engine in that car. I don't know. Oh, no, Mustang, I think. <laughs> Dang. Wait. Next time he passes by, wave to him. Oh, like, good job. Well, Mush. it's terrible when you have a, a four month year old and, like, you know, the kid just falls asleep and your wife's like, oh, I'm going to kill that person. So. <laughs> Not going to laugh. I thought that was coming from Andy, considering no. he's in Miami. <laughs> Yeah, my neck of the woods here. They are no. Actually, you might you might hear an airplane, but sure. we're right next to the airport. Sure. Oh, okay, I got you. No, but you know, there's there's just so much that we don't know, um, and so being able to kind of carry on uh, about right, how do we work around what we don't know, and how do we you know still and still make sure that our patients feel confident in what we're able to do, because you know, as physical therapists, we can make a huge impact on the things that we are really good at and the things that we do know. Um, and a lot of times people, from at least what I've seen, they, they've mistaken a lot of the really small um, kind of like intensive skills that people think that we need, um, you know, like specific modalities, specific manual treatments, things like that. Um, just, mm-hmm. just how little they, they offer compared to, you know, the things that we get truly from exercise. And I was just talking to someone mm-hmm. about this today, like exercise is, you know, Hard, intense, meaningful exercise over time is the only thing that our cells really adapt to, um, you know, in a positive way. And and so, you know, as, as simple as it may sound, there's there's so many just nuances and complexities to how to you know properly prescribe exercise and give it, um, and how to manage a patient through it, and then you know educate them to buy in as much as I buy into it. Um, and to me, that's really where the skill of physical therapy is heading towards, um, and, and that's kind of where the research is showing it's going towards as well, is that, you know, it's so much more than just, oh, you're moving wrong or you're, you know, you're tweaking this or that. It's, it's really, um, how do I interact with the patient? How do I instill certain beliefs into them um, to be on the same page that I'm on? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, what, what we're starting to see is that interaction side, right? The biopsychosocial bio, model really being driven home really strongly now especially with a lot of practitioners um because before it was all just technique technique uh, technique but now it's like okay how are you talking to the patient how are you how okay you you're a very skilled uh, clinician but how are you explaining what you know and translating that to the patient right. uh, or client um especially in the movement side right movement can be very very um especially load right somebody especially when it comes to pain and they, they're having pain with certain types of load or, or particular movement um, that experience, that pain experience can just be almost traumatic to that person. Yeah. So, you know, teaching them like, hey, it's okay to kind of, if you're having pain with this right now, but we're going to scale down from here and work our way back up. And, you know, we're going to go back to this movement. Um, and uh, it's not necessarily the movement that's causing the issue, but it's how you're moving the quality. Or maybe even, hey, by the way, you have a you had a stressful day at work today. Mm-hmm. And that's a big component to why you're having pain. Uh, and, yeah, and I, completely, I completely agree with the interaction uh, as far as and and is the research saying more so um, how the like the interaction between uh, patient and practitioner or how a patient is interacting with what the um, I guess the the treatment consists of? What's kind of like the biggest uh, outlier? Yeah, I would you know it's it's kind of a little bit of everything. Um, you know, even during my first clinical, I, I had a professor who used to always make fun of me when I wouldn't get a haircut every six to eight weeks. <laughs> 
I'd be like, man, I'm, I'm telling you, you can't have that shaggy look seeing patients. And it's totally true. Like just, just the way you look, the way your environment's set up, you know, the setup of your clinic, the things that you don't even realize that they interact with can, can have a huge role, but then also, you know, the expectations that you're setting, the, the way that you're talking to them, the, the confidence that you're instilling in them without even them realizing it, right? Like there, there can be such a difference between saying, hey, I'm going to take away your pain versus, hey, I'm going to help you help guide you through this and you're going to fix yourself. Um, and, and I think it's, it's just huge how, how small these, these very nuanced things can be. And I, I think kind of adding on to, I think you know, we, we were having this conversation last night, we were saying that, you know, with, with social media, you know, sometimes, and this is, I think this is where, again, the whole, um, again, clinical reasoning and again, why, why you get your doctor and all this stuff, um, you know, if you, if you were going on social media and you were to, to look at, you know, a variety of, you know, feeds from, from people that, that are kind of big, you know, the, the biopsychosocial model has definitely been something that has been, you know, kind of pushed very, very aggressively, um, almost to the point potentially where like, you know, we were talking the other day, like if you, if you weren't having necessarily a pain science talk with you know, each of your patients, you almost feel like an idiot from a social media standpoint. Um, and so I think really, really what we have to do as practitioners is really identify like when, when those times may be appropriate, but also again, you, it's, it's all, it really always comes down to moderation. Like it's everything in moderation. And I think what happens is with social media, you see a pendulum shift in one huge direction and then it gradually kind of comes back. Um, and so we just have to do a good job. And that's, that's one thing, again, we're trying to do from, again, a research standpoint is just, again, identify like what's the best approach to, again, utilizing these things that are out there for us. So, yeah, I mean, we were, we were even talking about how, you know, a lot of the times it's just being about how to talk to a person and, and how to actually, you know, communicate with someone and get them to, to kind of back into what you're saying. Like Matt was talking about you know, before trying to have this, you know, pain science education talk with a patient and if they if they're not on board with you, if they think you're kind of full of crap, well, mm-hmm. they're just going to think like, oh, so you're saying it's all in my head and I'm crazy and I probably need to get out of this place now. Um, and, and like it's it's pretty it's pretty cool to me, but also just insane, you know, how much being able to communicate with a person and get them to trust into you can can really affect mm-hmm. the outcome that mm-hmm. they're going to have. And I would even kind of go off that, you know, we it's kind of crazy to think like when you go back to your undergrad roots, um, you know, we, we were required as part of our program to take a, uh, an exercise uh, psychology class. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that I go back to all the time, whether it's discussion with colleagues at work or, um, you know, with, with PBM group is this whole idea of like readiness to change. And if someone isn't ready to change, then again, this, you just gotta be able to apply things appropriately depending upon, you know, the, the psychosocial status of the person in front of you. Um, but it's just great to be kind of thinking about how some of these basic concepts, we kind of just like overlook them, yet they can be so fundamental and so important to kind of what we do as practitioners. The readiness to change, is that the patient's, uh, I guess, like they actually want to get better? Is that what that is? Like they're, they're, basically believing that okay this is what's going on and i want to actually get better and yeah, i'm ready like, to get better to is that what that readiness to changes chris chris tell me, correct me if again you know mm. more detail but it's pretty much like is someone willing to accept something or are they not ready to make change just just yet 
Yeah, and, and even so, like, you know, are they willingness to have a shift in, in the narrative that's kind of been spun to them over this time? Um, if, I, if I try to jump in and go paint neuroscience education on someone and, and they're still at level one, hey, how do I have a conversation with this person? Like, they're not going to trust what you have to say. They're, they're not ready for that change. And in a lot of cases, they kind of need to be de-educated on, on maybe what their prior beliefs may have been regarding whatever it might be, right? Their pain, their lack of function, anything like that. Um, and it's usually, they say it's usually right. unlearning something, which is the hardest part, <laughs> especially if you've been, you know, conditioned through many different ways or, you know, you grew up thinking of a certain way, right? Like no pain, no gain, right? Or, or, or whatever it may be. Um, so, you know, it becomes very difficult as a practitioner to um, build, build trust, right? I mean, but... I think the biggest thing, I think the one of the biggest things that we have as practitioners is uh-huh. the ability to build a relationship with our patients, because until that relationship is built, right, that foundation, oh, yeah. there's nothing, you can't put anything on top of it, whether it's pain science, whether it's really good manual therapy or, you know, really good uh, strength progressions, or, I mean, you can be the best in all of those approaches, but if that person is like you guys said, if, if that readiness isn't there, that acceptance of, okay, I have this going on. I understand that this is what's going on and okay uh maddie chris you guys want me to do this okay i'm going to do this because i understand that once if i continue to do this and i modify certain things i'm going to get to point xyz uh but i think and that's why i think a lot of times the interaction and and uh even the biopsychosocial side i mean just building that relationship and being able to educate them um it's super yeah, powerful. I, so I, I like it, that it really comes down to like rapport. Yeah. Like rapport is, it's so, I was, I would say it's so important. You know, people say all the time, like, you know, you know I was talking with, with one of our ACCs the other day. Um, and she was saying about how she just likes to be on the field all the time and how she doesn't like to, you know, you know, I guess conduct like small talk within the clinic with people. But like, that's so, it's so important to, mm-hmm. you know, a patient comes in and you're asking them, hey, say they were on vacation, like, hey, how was vacation? Hey, how's your family doing? You know, X, Y, Z, like the little things like, you know, that, that kind of stuff goes so far down. I was actually speaking, speaking with a strength coach the other day about the, the previous PT that had been in the clinic before I came where I'm at right now. And he was saying that the success that that guy had um, again, in growing this clinic from the ground up was because he did those little small things. He was asking, Hey, how are your kids doing? How's work going? You know, how was vacation, whatever. Um, and then there's still people to this day that'll come into the clinic, even with this guy gone, Hey, you know, where, where'd so-and-so go? Um, you know, I, I thought I saw so-and-so I had such a good experience mm-hmm. with, with him. Um, and so th- those little things, you know, for, for kind of like new grads and even people that are, you know, skilled clinicians, you know, that have been doing this for a while. Like it's so, it's just so important to build that rapport and, and really what, what I say at the end of the day, like is just give a shit about people, honestly. <laughs> right. It's true. Exactly. It's true. It's not all textbook. <laughs> not to, not to take it in the grim direction of uh, lawsuits, but I was, I was actually talking to someone about this today and how, you know, when you look at the number of lawsuits in physical therapy, it's so minimal. Um, and granted, you know, the risk of injury is far less than things like surgery, prescribing medications, etc. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of it's just that, you know, you, you build this relationship with someone that's going to sue you, you know, like they're, they're not going to sue the guy who's been, they've been this outlet for them and, and they've been putting their life back on track. Um, and it's, it's even from that data, it seems to be reflected pretty well because the truth is that 
we may not get sued as often as a lot of other professions. And part of that could very well be, hey, we get to spend, you know, 45 minutes to an hour with our patients and we can talk, you know, talk shop and, and all that stuff with them. And that's, that's definitely one of the, the upsides of our profession and something that I think more people uh-huh. should really take advantage of because um, not a lot of people in the health professions get that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I have patients and I've worked with people where we're talking for like half an hour and I haven't done a single thing. <laughs> yeah. Half an hour. And one, like you mentioned, Chris, was that expression, right? Okay, man, work is going like this. Or oh, man, my kids this, and that's that's a big outlet. I mean, we know that that sympathetic and stress side of things causes pain sensitivity. Boom, for sure. So they have that outlet. But also, too, they get to tell you about all the things that they've been working on, which is also another great aspect of uh, like the vision side of where they want to be. Um, but a lot of times, like I said, I, I, you know, patients would come in and talk to me for like 30 minutes. I'm like, OK, cool. All right. right. What do you want to do today? Right. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's it's that conversation and that report and that interaction. Um not only does it build buy-in, but it's part of the treatment. You know what I mean? Again, uh, we're not psychologists. I'm not a psychologist. But I think that psychology side, right? We mentioned the, I think it was Madison that mentioned the exercise psychology side of things. It's big, right? That's why sports, right? Those guys that are super, super talented, um, or you don't, it's not just the talented people that make it uh, to the Hall of Fame, right? It's those people that can endure to those stressful times and can adapt really well. It doesn't necessarily have to be about your skills your skill set a lot of times hey can you handle being under pressure can you handle stress right the body a lot of times doesn't understand the difference between uh mental stress body and all that stuff is just a component of stress into the body and how am i dealing with it um and that conversation i feel um makes a big component so it's part of my treatment right if it's again i try not to go past 20 minutes unless it's a good story (laughs) i'm like stuck in it you know but you know, that's part of the uh, part of the treatment. I think a lot of times, like you mentioned, some practitioners might be like, oh, all, right, all right, cool. Like, we have to kind of get into these, this exercise and this exercise because we have this plan and this plan. Uh, but I think, not I think, I know, at least from my perspective, part of my practice is that conversation, that interaction. And maybe even through while we're working out, you know, sometimes actually uh, I get to a point where I'm actually working out with the patient, you know, because now you build that kind of rapport, that, that camaraderie. Um, hopefully I said that right. But now you build that that true relationship to someone that's like, man, I'm going to go see so-and-so and we're going to work on this. Now I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to go to the doctor and he's going to tell me this right. and he's probably going to tell me that I can't do that and I can't do that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a big component to it. I know we're uh, talking a lot about the you know, movement right. interaction, but right. that's how important it is. Yeah. I mean, not, not to geek out too early on, on science, but I mean, there, there's even studies showing, you know, you can have an enhanced placebo effect of a known placebo by attaching a good experience to it. You know, you give someone a placebo, they interact with their doctor, their practitioner, their physical therapist, um, and just having that interaction can significantly improve the outcomes of what they're getting. Um, and there's, there's just so much to that. And like you said, you know, we're, we're not psychologists, but it just seems that there's so much involved on that side of, of the rehab world. Um, and it's a lot of stuff that we're, we're still kind of learning. And it's, it's cool to see that's that's where a lot of directions are going and mm-hmm. to see you know what happens in the next 10 20 years as as recommendations and as mm-hmm. as guidelines and such change uh, yes yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy things. thinking about this like right now like we so when we had to um I don't know what it was you know the 
Each each, each uh, ZBZ program is a little bit different. You know, some people will require you to you know write a write a letter you know based upon the the you know, whatever the APTA statement is. Um, I, I know we at least had to for for Duke, and um, you know looking looking back on what I what I wrote about, it was exactly kind of this kind of biopsychosocial model because this stuff was starting to just kind of come out. Um, and I remember people kind of reading it and having kind of PTs read it at the time. And, you know, people were kind of like, yeah, I'm not really sure if this is going to, you know, get you, get you into PT school. But, um, you know, looking back on things now, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's kind of cool to, to see this, you know, really implemented, um, you know, heavily nowadays. And, I mean, dude, at the end of the day, just get people to talk about food. That's what I found to be like very good in clinic. Just, hey, what? What did you have for lunch? What's for dinner? People <laughs> love talking about food, so that that that's kind of my go-to if I'm in trouble. For sure, food and Netflix for sure. Those, oh man, you, you get me on like get me on a Grey's Anatomy binge, and I talk for days. You know, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Uh, when it comes to like research, right? I mean, getting into the topic of obviously research and how to implement it, but what are the best ways, let's say, for example, a practitioner that has XYZ and wants to learn a little bit more about it, um, shoulder, ACL, whatever you want to talk about, what's the best way that you guys have found? Because I feel like you guys, are like, like we mentioned earlier, you guys are mediator between the boring part of research and then the practical side of research. Now, for someone that sees your content, what do you recommend as one of the best ways to start implementing that? Uh, implementing like searching for research or the use of research. Let's go for the use, and then we'll go for the research or for the search because <laughs> the search side it just gives me a little. I get goosebumps. Yeah, 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 no, I, I hear you. you want to go with that or want me to? <laughs> uh, yeah. So when when it comes to you know actually using it, a big part of it's having a good understanding of the entire body of the research, right? Or we were talking about this before, but you know, you can't just take one study's results and be like, "All right, that's it. I'm gonna go on the fly and start doing this treatment because that's what this article is showing me, or that's what this person on this social media page is showing me." Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, to some degree, you have to be aware. And what I find interesting is like that's almost where the skill of being a physical therapist kind of lies in is is understanding what these outcomes mean, what what these different things mean. Because if I was to read, you know, an economy, an economic uh, research article, I probably wouldn't have a clue what I'm reading because I'm just not skilled right. in, or in that background whatsoever. Um, and so, you know, taking in and accounting for what is your prior knowledge, what are the general things that we learned in school, and then really having an understanding of, of the way the systems work um, and then applying the research on top of that, right? So whether that's, you know, suggesting a specific exercise or a specific type of exercise, um, if you understand the basics of how, say, load can impact human tissues, um, and you look at a research article that's looking at, say, you know, heavy slow resistance training for tendinopathy, um, you know, it's, it's that interplay of your background knowledge as a skilled therapist or you know, whatever it might be, and being able to read that article and say, all right, this makes sense for X and Y physiological reason that I was taught. 10, 15 years ago. So, so to me, you know, to, to be able to implement research into practice, um, it's, it's really about taking your background knowledge that we've all to some degree have achieved. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, seeing where that matches up with what we see in the literature and, and upon multiple papers mm-hmm. and systematic reviews and things like that. 
So basically having already kind of like a pretense of uh, what you want to understand and want to take from it. And then basically seeing what's more practical to you as a practitioner or what you're looking for, aka shoulder injury or whatever, um, is the best way you see uh, kind of implementing. Kind of, I'll give you an example. When I see uh, um, if I'm looking for something about a shoulder pain or tendinopathy, I'm going to go in there and I go straight to the conclusion. That's my go to. Like what the heck happened and what's the best, what's the meat and potatoes of it? Uh, right. Or maybe even the abstract before I even get to the conclusion, because it'll give me uh, kind of like the the big the the what do you say? The like the sky view of what the research and what the whole premise of it was. But now from there. Right. I get let's say, for example, they say load and capacity is the biggest way to uh, now to really strengthen the tenant or the, the area, the region. Um, going from there, what are, what would you find is the best ways to start implementing um, that type of, do you now, do I now find more research to be able to kind of couple that? Or do I take that uh, and try it and then see how that goes? Or do I, you know, how, how many, I guess, how many forms or how many, uh, what's the best way to say it? How many pieces of research or pieces of information or, or, or uh, you're good. What is the you're, word? I'm you're good. For? You're good. We got you. Uh, I, I think. I think honestly, the the best thing you okay. have to do Thanks. is you you've got to take a look at one research, um, and then again, you know, let, let's just kind of keep on this this tendinopathy train as an example. Um, so you you've you've got this. Right. I think I think it's always putting it within the context of the patients that you're working with, right? So I got this person. I got this person. I think it's let's say let's say a glute a glute med tendinopathy, which is something we see you know commonly within that like 40 to 60 age year old female. Um, so I got a lady coming in glute med tendinopathy. All right, you know mm-hmm. you, you come on our page and we've got this research about you know eccentrics versus heavy solar resistors trading and you know, which one is better. Um, so you see that, and then I think what you do is you use that as almost a, a springboard to start looking at other kind of PubMed articles and kind of see what, mm. what does the, what does the research have to say is, is it consistent with this article? Um, and then what you have to do is you really just have to experiment it, you know, in, in practice It's really, that's really what we, what, what I'm consistently doing in, with a lot of the research that we have is like, Hey, listen, I'm going to try it on this patient. If it works, awesome. I'm going to keep that in mind. If it doesn't, then I'm going to have to switch it up. So again, if let's say let's say I wanted to go the traditional kind of eccentric route, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to focus on you know eccentric uh, control in this case. All right, it didn't work out. All right, well I'm going to flip the switch and I'm going to focus on more of the heavy slow resistance training, kind of see how how it was. And then again, I'm keeping that in the back of my mind. And then again, this is the the relations that I had, or this this was the outcome that I had um, in this case. I'm going back to literature. Um, I'm looking at, again, consistently just going back and forth between the two, between clinic, implementing into practice, and then going back to the research. And it's, it's this ongoing process. I don't think it's a, you know, you read an article one time, up, oh, that's it, and I'm done with that particular article. I think you consistently have to go back and forth and, and, and more or less just, just trial and error and kind of see what, what works best for your patients. Gotcha. Yeah, it was sources, <laughs> the word I was looking for, Jesus. <laughs> different sources i'm like my goodness yeah, I, but i i can agree right that consistency so you're looking at okay what does this research say at least what i'm looking at and it says this okay if now from there kind of like that foundation of that springboard that you mentioned madison is now you look at another piece of information or another source okay what are they saying does it kind of go in line with this okay all right now that's two that uh are same similar things let me find another one or maybe just those two okay 
if I have this research article, this piece of uh, information or this source of information, and they're both saying very similar things, all right, for me, I'll be all right, that's good enough. Let me see, let me implement it. Um, because now we'll be in research, in the research uh, cave for, right. I mean, three weeks researching the same thing. But I mean, like you mentioned, is the application and that trial error to see, trial error to see uh, what actually works. And again, even with that being said, it's yeah, still I mean, also yeah, I mean, down to the trial individual. process. And I think it's also being oh. receptive to new ideas. I think oftentimes you see a lot of, a lot of clinicians that they yeah. have success with one method. And that becomes the end all be all to the way they treat every every patient population that that you know walks through the door. And and again, they may have really, really good results, but I think at the end of the day you, you also have to be receptive to if there is new literature that does come out that, you know, says something different. All right, well what does this have to say? You know, you know, does it does it fit my pa- you know, patient population, XYZ? And and again, implement it and just try. I think that, I think that's really. I think clinic, you know, clinic is this huge lab, and I think you have to look at it as an opportunity to just yeah. use your patients as, you know, for lack of better terms, guinea pigs for for some things that you you want to try and want to see how they how they match up and what the research does. Yeah, and, and I'd say you know, the expertise that you build and, and the experience that you build, you know, those those coming with time. Um, those certainly still matter, but they have to come from some form of, you know, true knowledge base. And, and uh, from what we've seen, the best form of that knowledge base is the peer-reviewed research. That's, that's the best way to you know, be, be able to, to weed out any biases because, you know, you could, you could probably get away with an entire PT career based off of, oh, well, this worked for me. Um, you could probably mm-hmm. be very successful in it and treat a lot of patients um, you know, but, but just because, you know, basing it off of one's expertise, um, isn't quite the same as being truly evidence-based. And so it's, it's about, you know, blending that, you know, having the knowledge base, having those papers that you're coming off of. And then like Maddie said, trialing it with, all right, how am I going to fit this into my expertise? How, how does this paper, you know, make sense of, of right. my treatment options? Um, first of all, a clinic as a huge lab is money. I love that. Um, and then being open to new ideas, I think was, is a big one, right? Because I think even so for me, right. And, and, and I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. A lot of times you go into a piece of research, but with something in mind already, especially like you mentioned, uh, a particular approach that you already have. And then you're looking at all the research that only has that particular approach. And it's like, has really good things to say about this really one approach. And you're just going down to the rabbit hole of, let's say, for example, I'm a big manual therapy guy. Every research says manual therapy is the best thing for this. All right. And it keeps going. Each research that you go into, do you find that it's very easy to go down that hole, especially if you kind of have this narrow mind? Or maybe, I don't know if it's narrow. I guess, I don't know what it is. But you are so used to this one approach. But then once you go into research or try to even get sources, you tend to look at sources that are talking about the approach that you like rather than, um, you know, like, like you guys mentioned, opening to new ideas rather than saying, okay, I understand treating this one pathology, treating this one issue with this, it has worked for me, but let me see going this route. What would you say would be a, a better way to try to, to, I guess, try to avoid that situation of trying to being or trying to limit at yeah, all. Uh, well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even necessarily say research. the research. I think it's more or less like, I think you have, you really have to expose yourself to 
you know, a bunch of different methods that are out there. So again, if you're looking at like, you know, if you're looking at, let's say manual therapy, for example, again, are you, have you been exposed to the Maitland world? Have you been exposed to different soft tissue techniques? You know, have, have you potentially got into any, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, a little bit of McKenzie, but I think you, you really have to kind of expose yourself to different methods. And again, yeah. you just, again, you have to, you have to trial and error and, and just see kind of what, what works best. But you know, I think, I think, I don't know, Chris, if you had mentioned this the other day or someone had mentioned this to me, but like, again, at the end of the day, if you understand like the basic anatomy of a lot of things, it can kind of help you out much more than I think you give it credit for. So yeah yeah and you know a lot of it a lot of times it's it's so much just about the narrative that you spin um because whether we like it or not we can get some nice short-term benefits from things like manual therapy um but is the narrative attached to it going to be one that puts the power in my hands or the patient's hands um and my you know from what we're learning now it seems to be hey this we don't have enough answers right now to say that this Mm. is exactly what's happening um so let's keep the patients you know the the power in the patient's hands with with what we're doing um and and at the same time it's also really important to understand that even we as reviewers of research have you know very heavy biases like i know i am for a fact you know extremely biased in exercise um and that bias appears to get confirmed all the time from the research um and a lot of times it's just interacting with other people and, and, you know, being able to objectively debate and discuss things with people, um, even people in the clinic who might be on the opposite end of the spectrum that are, they are also very, you know, research-based, but maybe their, their way of practicing is completely different from mine, even though they're looking at the same research as me. And it's, it's being able to accept that, you know, there's going to be these differences and we're going to have these biases, but you know, it's up to us to be able to talk about these things. Um, and that's where I think you know, real change can actually happen because, you know, odds are I'm not going to ever be able to read a paper and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to stop using exercise. Um, this paper is strong enough to support that. There's, there's just no way. Um, but right. if I talk to enough people about things, if I, if I hash it out and discuss it with them over time, I think that's how you can make real changes towards treatment approaches, whatever your biases are. And a lot of that just comes from recognizing, hey, you know what, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be biased towards things, even when I'm reading this direct research. Mm-hmm. So I think from the summary of that, the best way to avoid biases is to basically have more interaction with other people that practically do do not uh, practice the way you do. And if they do, how are they doing something differently? Because even, let's say, uh, me and Madison can be uh, programming or uh, providing treatment the exact same way, right? Same, everything, boom, boom, boom. But each, we're all, we're both going to have a different spin to it. And I think having, creating that uh, conversation, creating that debate and that discussion is where we start to challenge our biases, right? And that's when um, now, once we learn about a new technique or a new form, that's when we then go into research cave and then try to find okay what does the research say or what does this article say or what does this resource or what does evidence-based movement say on instagram yeah. about this go back to that um yeah yeah, yeah i like that a lot of times like just kind of calling people out but you know doing it in a respectful way that's why you know when <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't go that that route but you know I've, I've done my fair share of passive aggressive uh, student in services of like, oh, this is actually what the research is showing, but that's not what you guys are teaching me at all. No, but 
you know, working in an environment where you're willing to, you know, call each other out on their crap, even if their crap is coming from the right place. Um, that, that's, right. that's where it really kind of relies in and not being so emotionally attached uh-huh. to these things that we do. So I think a big question I should have led up with was, what exactly oh, Chris, I'll is Evan's talk about this. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I want to say it was in the uh, in the 70s. Um, there, was, there was a very popular paper that came out that kind of discussed how, you know, medicine wasn't, which is where a lot of this really started from, was that, you know, we were going from very experience-based medicine on, um, hey, someone had the flu, I gave them this drug, it worked, therefore, this is how we're going to do it. Um, and they eventually realized that, you know, we need to have some checks and balances to support that what we're doing actually works. Um, and what's interesting is we're still seeing it to this day as, as they explore things like, you know, sham surgeries. Um, to me, that's the best example I can think is, you know, we've been doing these surgeries because, hey, they work for these people. Um, but how do we truly acknowledge that that is what's creating this outcome? Um, and so to me, that's where evidence-based practice comes from. It's, it's that, that basis of the least amount of bias as possible for a specific outcome, uh, treatment, diagnosis. Um, and, and what does that tell us? And where does that give us the, the jumping off point? And so, you know, we have the classic, it's the research, it's, you know, this interaction between the research, the patient's experiences slash their expectations, and then your own clinical expertise um, is like the traditional way of thinking of evidence-based practice. Um, but I think a lot of people, they, they forget that, you know, the first word is evidence, and, and that is where that knowledge base has to come from. Um, uh, I think that's pretty good. If that? anyone ever wants more detail, just go follow Adam Meekin, so... <laughs> that was pretty good that, that was pretty good chris that's all i got that was pretty good all right um man yeah, that, was that was good that was quick 50 minutes good right amount there. of stuff there i love that man mm-hmm. right i mean time flies when you're having fun you know um what is the best way for uh, yeah, the listeners so, to mean, contact we're, you guys? we're trying to do a better job at being, you know, directly available through the, uh, through the Instagram page. So we always love receiving messages and, and having conversations. Obviously, you know, we, we love interacting with our followers as well. So, um, you know, comment, comment as much as possible. Feel free to email, email link is on there. Um, so feel free to hit us up, whether it's email, um, direct message, comment, you know, we're, we're trying to be as interactive as possible. So any of, any of those things is, is a good way to get, get in touch with us. Yeah. Perfect. And the emails on the, on Instagram. Yeah. When it does. Great. And I'll make sure to, cool. to link that at the bottom of the show notes here. So you guys should be able to see that. Um, uh, we are currently in the process. And the website and all that's that on there, right? right? No pressure. No pressure at all. Perfect. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Yeah. Just, I appreciate just it. trying to make sure people can reach you guys. No problem. When, uh, and then courses uh, yeah, 2020. We, we, we're, we're, getting involved. Involved. we're excited about that one. So, again, we'll, we'll be throwing deets out later at the end of the year about that. Any uh, book recommendations? So if you guys do, let's limit to mm. two. So if Chris has one and then Madison, if you have one, boom. Mm. And if not, that's okay too. My uh, my go-to right now is How to Win Friends and Influence I've heard about that one. Uh, just, okay. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been 
flung around enough podcasts for me to decide, you know, I need to actually pick this thing up and read it. Um, but <laughs> like, seriously, learning how to interact with people in, in a lot of ways, just creating a presence that when someone wants to be around you and they feel better about themselves when they're just around you interacting with you, I think can be, you know, hugely positive. Um, and as silly as it is to learn that from a book, um, I, I think it's, it's a great you know, place to go from. And I think anyone can kind of put themselves in check by reading that book. Any, any other Chris or is that it right now? Awesome. Oh man. Um, another classic that I was big into was, uh, so good they can't ignore you. Um, so yeah, so that, that one was recommended to me by, uh, Dr. Campbell, who's, who's in the lab that I've, I've been working at and, I don't know, he brought it up in class like five or six times. So I decided, all right, it's, it's time that you have to borrow that book so I don't have to buy it. Um, and it, it was definitely, I was a big fan of that one. Awesome. awesome. Uh, I don't have any specific um, books, but from, a, from, a, from, from a research perspective, I'm really starting to dive into um, the relationship between heart rate variability and recovery. That's something I'm super interested in right now. Yeah, heart rate, ver- heart, heart, heart rate heart variability rate and recovery. And all right all right now here enters the two sections uh well this next one is is a pretty fun part i call it speed round and then the the last one is more of a special thanks and i have three thanks to give uh and we'll cross that bridge when we get there the first one is speed round speed round is basically questions i have lined up here for you guys um i think the best way to do is to do uh a different one for for both of you guys so i usually have three or four but i'll try to split this into two for each of you guys that way one doesn't automatically uh start to prepare for the question uh, so the idea for this is just for the audiences and myself to get to know you a little bit more and i think it's funny um no worries all questions are pg for the most part uh yeah, I mean, it's just weird questions that, and you know, to be honest, I used to kind of get them off a website, uh, but now I literally, I do things. I'm like, man, I wonder what, what other people are doing when this happens or what else are people doing <laughs> instead of this? So that's a, so a lot of the questions now come from that. So uh, if you think they're weird, so, that kind of tells yeah. you a little more about myself and always- we'll go to my forehead. Uh, anyways, here we go. Yeah. Are you guys ready? I'm getting out of All right. It's okay to be nervous. Sometimes I get nervous. When it comes to this part, that's okay. All right. All right. So I guess the first one's going to go to Chris. Yeah, let's do it. Are you ready, Chris? All right. So the first question is, do you put cereal or milk first when you're about to eat cereal? I I do cereal with uh, Greek yogurt every night. So, oh, Oh. no, don't knock until you try it. All right. Listen, cereal (laughs) with some peanut butter and some some Dan and fit Greek yogurt. Oh, my gosh. That's. Oh, that's that sounds very, very. Bro, when you're this skinny, you, you that need sounds to. nasty, dude. <laughs> so we're talking about Greek yogurt, and what oh, cereal man. are you putting I on there? I can go kids stuff. I I can go, you know. Uh, I mean, if you have to eat it right now, what would you? Uh, what right would you now, I've been I've been crushing the uh, chocolate cinnamon toast crunch. That's that's yeah, that's wow. definitely. That's an excellent choice, stuff. by the way. Okay, a little bit. Okay, okay. Right. So Greek yogurt with uh, chocolate. Uh, yep, that's cinnamon right. Toast and, and a thick thing oh. of uh, peanut butter. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Sorry, that's. Sorry. I'm trying to. Seriously. Like, 
It's drying up my hey, mouth right now. Just thinking about it. Just trying to. You wanted to get weird, head. so you know. That's fair. That's fair. That's hey, fair. I completely, I completely agree. All right. Let's do it. All right. So the next question let's, goes let's to Madison. Are you ready for this, bud? So do you put Ooh, socks on first or pants yeah, on first? That's actually a good question. Um. <laughs> socks or pants? Uh, I want. I want to say. I want. I want to say pants. I want to say pants first. Yeah. Really? So you have I dirty feet just rolling I'm, around so, the ground. So people, some people are shoe people. You know, some people like you know jackets or whatever. I'm, I'm actually a sock guy, so I'm I'm very very selective in my socks. Like uh, I got some yeah. boring socks on today. They're just Nike ones, but like usually I've got some Sonic socks. I've got um i've got some looney tunes socks i've got kind of all, all superheroes so i'm big i'm big into the sock world so i'm very selective on my my sock process so does this yeah, depend yeah. on so the day so i, so I work at two different day? clinics does it depend one on how you wake like up sports like, medicine based the other clinic's more like gen ortho so the gen ortho is more like very it's like you know polo ralph lawrence got my polo shoes it's very more professional whereas the sports clinic it just gets crazy <laughs> So, got it. So, the ortho one is more yeah, like George Clooney, yeah. and the other there one's kind of like right now, uh, The Rock. You're just ready to, you're ready to roll. Wow. Okay. So, socks oh, guy, oh. huh? Look at that. We're learning. We're, we're learning about you guys right team, now. That's, that's probably the but, number one comment. That's true. Is, that's true. Chris, you got some Pikachu ones, so you can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> I got socks for days. I got it. I got to tell you, I mean, I have lost all hopes of socks. So uh, I actually share a sock drawer with my fiance, and I literally pick out <laughs> any two things that come out when I put my hand in there. So literally right now I have a Puma sock and a Walmart brand sock. <laughs> Thankfully, they're both mine socks. But typically I'll have one of her socks and one of my socks, and one can be like bright pink and black, and the other one can be like black and gray. So that's where I'm at with that. Uh, that, and that's my sock game. So I've had not sure what that says. So I'm spoiled. <laughs> All right. So one more question for uh, each one. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and so this one's for you, Chris. So yep. Are you ready for this? <laughs> All right. This is gonna be like a brain buster type of one. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you're ready. Here we go. Ooh. So for the toilet paper, oh, is it over, over or under? There's, there's no question. Come on. Have, really have not over seen the, huh? the original patent picture of the uh, of toilet paper is it oh yeah is it's it a waterfall straight up mm-hmm. huh i haven't i'm actually googling I mean, just right what about you, yeah, over or under. oh, my. oh um, okay okay all right this is that um, um that people uh what chris what did you say yeah I, I, no no i'm i'm under i said sure. over like a like a real human yeah yeah, you're under. Wow. Oh, you just did I say something? You didn't know. Something? You didn't know. I'm, know. You know. I'm getting you guys really to know more about each other. Look at that. <laughs> no, that's classic. <laughs> that's what that is. Wow. Well, I mean, what's the theory? Like, if it's over, it's less likely to spill, or if it's under, it's more likely. What's the? Is there like actual logic uh, behind oh, it, or is it know, just it's just the way the world works? I guess the evidence is it's unsubstantiating. There's. <laughs> fair enough fair enough um all right madison this is next oh, question easy spider-man no question uh, spider-man, spider-man or superman no i have to say i'm starting i'm starting really? to appreciate tom holland a little bit i was a huge um 
I got what's his name? Um, was it and Andy Garfield? Was that his name? Andrew Garfield. Was, yeah, yeah, Andrew. Andrew, shut Andrew up. Garfield? Um, so I can tell you, and Andrew Garfield. I thought out of all the <laughs> Spider Mans, he has been the best. Although I was very dissatisfied with Jamie Fox as Electrode. Um, I, I did not like that. But you know, Tom's starting to kind of wee on me a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm starting to appreciate. I, still, I have to see the new one. So I heard there's you know Mysterio, Jake Gyllenhaal. That's kind of an interesting thing kind of going on there. So. Easy. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. So Spider-Man it is. You know, most people go for Superman just for the fact that they can fly. But technically, with Spider-Man, you can also fly. He's got the best. He has some pretty cool villains, too. So I I guess either way, you win. This is true. Now, uh, to kind of go yeah. a little further deep into that question, um, I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to going back to our earlier conversation about biases. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to have to say the Superman's <laughs> probably going to win that one, but you know, I'm, st- I'm still going to pull for pull for my homeboy. So, true. Right. Hey, you never know. Like- you never know. Um, that's funny. So this last part, it's really what I call thanks. Uh, and really, that's exactly what it is. So there's three thank yous I always like to give at the end here. Uh, the first one goes to the guests. So thank you, Chris and Madison, for taking the time out of your days to you know jump on this podcast, learn a little more about uh, evidence-based practice, learn a little more about evidence-based movement and your brand that you guys have worked so hard to really provide this practical a practical form of information and research into not only to help practitioners like myself that do not or are not fond of research, but um, understand the importance of it. So thank you very much. But also to the consumers and to those patients that, you know, like to geek out on, geek out on those things. Thank so you. Sure. Uh, thank you very much for your time. And I appreciate you guys both being on here. Appreciate you inviting us. It was awesome. The second thank you goes to the listeners, because, of course, we can be on here rambling, but there's nobody on the other side to listen to. Um, Really, it would just be rambling and nobody would know uh, about your sock uh, fetish, Mr. Madison or Mr. Chris's uh, cinnamon toast crunch and Greek yogurt. Goodness gracious. But now they do. And they could have been doing anything right now. uh, Riding bike exercising, looking at research. They could have been uh, looking at how the heck do you mix uh, Greek yogurt and cinnamon toast crunch, but they're not. They're here listening to this episode. Uh, so listeners, you know, like I always say, thank you. Thank you very much for giving us a platform uh, to speak our minds, to be able to uh, share some knowledge and experiences. Uh, thank you very much. And the last thank you goes to our clients, to our patients, uh, to our students. Thank you. Thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to share uh, what we're truly passionate about, uh, whether it's our clinical skills or whether it's our education or just experiences that we would like to uh, share with you guys. So thank you. Thank you very much for giving us that opportunity, uh, for giving us the platform to do so. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, With that being said, this is Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, signing out. Hey there, Andy Fortuna here, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. I love the opportunity to connect and share information with passionate people just like you and would love the opportunity to do the same for others. So please take the time right now to leave a five-star review and help spread the word about this podcast. Thank you so much for your support and see you on the next episode. Hold up.